With the right, well, <clears throat> with rising inflation and fear of recession on the horizon, many are asking, is the real estate bubble about to pop? It's a sensible question considering the run-up in real estate prices since the pandemic has ended. Is another 2008 housing crisis on the horizon, or will the Federal Reserve be able to thread a needle to create a soft landing for the housing market by just removing the speculator froth that has come from things like iBuyers, Build to Rent, and Wall Street speculators? We'll discuss all this in today's Quiver Financial News. I'm Colby McFadden, and I'm joined with Justin Singletary and Patrick Moorhead. Gentlemen, Welcome. Happy end of July of 2022. It's already uh, middle of summer. I Kids believe. are going back to school. Yes, How are you, gentlemen? Enough. You guys Good. well? Doing well. Yeah. Good. Can't Good. afford a house. Can't, can't afford a house. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to find out if, if you will be able to afford a house sometime in the, in the near future. Um, so let, let's kind of frame the conversation because this is a big question we've been getting from a lot of people. And, and I've been getting a ton of this in my, my feed, like on my phone and, and news feeds. Um, it's definitely a hot topic. For, and it makes sense because most humans, most of us, like we're going to refer back to our most familiar time frame. And so everybody looks back to 2008. And even though that was... 12, 13 years ago, um, it's still fresh. You know, people experienced it. So it's kind of natural that when you start to hear about a recession in the horizon, um, rise in interest rates and things like this, that the natural question would be, oh, will it be like 08? Is, it, is the market going to crash? And we've talked for, for years and, and we've been very mute the last six months on the subject of real estate trends because it's been a boring subject matter because when, as we've talked about gentlemen before, is that if, if employment, if people are at full employment and interest rates are low, which even with the recent rise in interest rates, historically, they're still very, very low compared to, you know, what, what we've seen historically over the long haul. Um, so if you have, you know, low unemployment and low interest rates, there's really no reason to expect housing to crash because if people are, employed and they're working and they can afford a house, they're going to buy a house, right? And so affordability becomes that real, real big factor. Um, so we haven't had to talk about this. And now there's been some changes in that. And, you know, we've seen a change. I mean, we've seen a change in interest rates. How, 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 how significant has the change been in interest rates this year? Well, even going back, you talked about how we haven't been talking about real estate because it's been boring because it's been just one direction. You know, it's yeah. been to the upside. And yeah. now with the change that we're seeing, we this is the most volatility that we've seen in the real estate market, the single family real estate market in history. You know, it's normally just kind of peters along and yeah, the 2008 crash is kind of the exception, but the, the moves that we see to the upside and now the potential moves that we're seeing on the downside are making it a little more interesting as time time goes on. But I don't think the interest rate story is, is, is as big as some of the other factors that we're going to talk about, you know, in my opinion, of, of having the effect on, on real estate. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, so, so, okay, so you've got, you know, you've got like a three-legged stool, right? You've got, you've got interest rates, you've got employment, um, and then you've got affordability. Um, and that, like, if those are the three fundamental things that, that support housing, 
there, like you said, it's been a, a one-way trajectory the last few years because interest rates have been going lower and lower and lower. Employment's been solid even throughout the pandemic because there was government money that came in, and so affordability was there. Um, but it seems that that you know there's there's been a change, right? Because now when interest rates rise, you start to put a little bit of a crack in that foundation. Um, we're seeing inflation. You know, we're, we're seeing now the the fear of recession and possibly will people lose jobs coming up so now there's another potential crack in that foundation of fundamentals of real estate um and then one thing that you know has wasn't in the factor of 2008 that nobody you know now they're starting to talk a little bit more about it is these you know the world of wall street being in real estate in certain markets like arizona and and Austin, Texas, and Idaho, and even Utah, and different places, Michigan, you've had where people have gone and raised money from Wall Street, public companies, and they've bought up big swaths of land and housing. And you also have build to rent, and you have people who've gone into the VRBO and Airbnb game. So in this particular cycle, you know, it's like we have more things to look at as far as is the market going to crash or not? So we have a couple of stress fractures around interest rates and uh, um, possibly around employment. Um, but what happens to Wall Street money when prices aren't rising? Because you know, usually Wall Street money doesn't stick around very long if they're not going to make money. They, you know, they 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 go look for the next play. Um, so you know, how how do those guys affect the overall situation? So that's where I wonder, you know, I wonder about, you know, when, when I get these questions from clients, that's what I'm wondering about is like, okay, you know, what, what can people do next based on these things and what should they look for? I mean, I, I would just bring in or add to this is like, I, I mean, you said you did say that Wall Street, you know, they're going out and buying land and, and you know, retail homes and stuff. I don't think they're ever going to sell. I mean, as much as Wall Street plays the game that we all play in our, you know, regular day life or what we do every day. But I mean, this is a buy and hold strategy for them. I, I don't think they're going to sell. I mean, why would they? Wall Street, you know, especially with, have- if, they're, if they're able to get interest rates, you know, I mean, they were able to lock in some of these things that you know, I below four percent, below three percent in some I, cases. Oh, because because I think of because the way that that corporate governance works, I I think that when when you start taking stock money, when you start taking money that you raise in the stock market and you put it in assets, whether it's Bitcoin or real estate or whatever it may be, as long as those assets are appreciating in value, you're deemed as doing a good fiduciary responsibility, right? But the moment that those and, and you know they're they're going to lever that portfolio up with bonds and, and things like that. So the moment that that portfolio starts to work against them, and it starts to put them in, in risk of certain covenants, then the CFO is going to turn to the CEO and say, "Hey, dude, we're, we're we're now in a totally different realm of fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders. In order to protect our shareholders, we actually got to sell and create cash and get forced into selling at the bottom." So that can totally happen in Wall Street. That's happened many times in all kinds of assets. So that's where my question is you know, with the Wall Street money is how, how do capital markets affect you know, that, that factor? That, because if, if Wall Street is only 10% of the overall or 5% or a small percentage of the overall market, then it's probably a mute point. 
Um, but in certain markets like Austin or, or Arizona or Idaho or somewhere like, you know, somewhere like that, they may be a, a much bigger portion. They might be 30%, you know, 40%. So it, it starts to feel like what real estate starts to become very regional. Like, you know, like, like certain areas could be very stable in the future. And then other areas just get, you know, 20% price declines because they had other factors beyond employment and interest rates. The thing I would argue is, you know, and I agree with you in the fact that, you know, Wall Street's going to cut bait and run if, if things get dire, because this is a new sector for them. They've invested in multifamily, they invested in industrial, they invested in retail and stuff like that. But single family, Wall Street's not familiar with. So they're making stupid moves, you know, and buying. You know, I shared an article with you guys the other day about imitation homes buying right now the most they've ever bought in July. Well, right now is probably the peak of, of single family real estate. So Wall Street is not versed into how to operate real estate. But on the flip side of things, they're buying single family homes for the rental aspect. So they're trying to tailor it around multifamily. So I feel like they can maybe hedge their bet a little bit and lose some value if they're going to hold it for the long term, as long as rental rates keep increasing. If they keep getting rents and all that type of stuff. And, and you know, one other factor that we were going to bring in is you talked about you know, Wall Street being even a new entrance. Well, if the government comes in with their forbearances again, or their no eviction moratorium, you know, that's going to play a double-edged sword of, okay, now they're not getting rents, they might dump the property. But yeah. if, if we have rents, and even during 2008, rents were still increasing um, during that time period. So that's kind of stabilizes that asset class a little bit more for Wall Street, that even if they buy at the peak, they can maybe ride it out a little more by getting that rental income coming in the door. Yeah, you, you, that, you bring up a good point. Like as long as they can service the debt, right? If, if they have rent coming in and they can service the debt on the portfolio, then, you know, no, no worries about covering a positive return. Yeah, there's still there's still a good return. So, if, you know, if they can, especially on in a, in a REIT setup or something like that. So, yeah, I, I definitely think there's there's stability there. Um, that's why it's hard for me to believe that like right now it's, it's, it's been really, really difficult for me to say to people, oh man, um, real estate's going to crash because even though there's some fractures in the whole structure of things, um, I don't think they've hit a tipping point yet to create a crash scenario. Now, can that happen? Yeah. So is it still a possibility? Yeah, it, it's still a possibility. Um, but the thing about investing is is narrowing possibilities down to probabilities, right? Um, and the reality is, is under fundamentals, you know, it's in, in affordability, you would then say to yourself, okay, um, if I had to figure out what to do next, um, then maybe it does look like real estate becomes very regional. And if you're a real estate player, you start to really focus on certain areas that maybe really overextended themselves um, or maybe where the affordability um, came to too much of a stretch. Cause I think affordability is a huge, huge factor in this because, you know, with, with interest rates rising 2%, we've seen a change, you know, in, in, in affordability people, people have less money, you know, because their payments changed. Well, and interest rates and affordability kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but one thing that we're kind of lumping in, you know, single family homes is really what we're focusing on right now and what the news media is focusing on. Yeah. But that's one small sector of the whole real estate market. Correct. So is real estate going to crash all of real estate? No. 
multiple sectors have little blips and stuff like that. Single family homes more so than others. Yeah, that's sure. And that's what people I think need to differentiate in, into your you know topic about where to go from here. You know, there's other real estate sectors that are yeah. booming right now and still going to boom, you know, in the coming years. Industrial sure. is one aspect of it. I mean, industrial sure. is just blowing up data centers. It's blowing yeah. up. So the there single family homes. That's, that's commercial. Place. Yeah. Well, there again, it's, 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 I think as an investor, you go where you can find the affordability factor, you know, where, where's your, where's your best relative return, whether it's in um, single family or multifamily or commercial or whatever it may be, you have to approach real estate. If you're going to invest in real estate, you have to realize you can be micro focused on only just residential, um, which is what most people are focused on, or you can broaden your spoke and in 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 your viewpoint and realize oh yeah there's all kinds of things there's light industrial there's land banking there's you know financing of just loans there's all kinds of other ways to do real estate as well yeah yeah yeah, i mean to kind of continue on about the affordability factor i mean you know if you were able to get a home you know two years ago under three (laughs) percent your mortgage. I mean, now yeah. you're looking at the same home that's a hundred, maybe $200,000 more, depending on the area, like we mentioned. Sure. Um, and now you're looking at a mortgage rate or an interest rate of, you know, north of five. Sure. 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 Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I look at, uh, I've been looking at houses in certain areas and let's say two years ago, there were 600,000 and now they're 800,000. And when you calculate after doing the down payment and everything, the difference in affording that house is now over a thousand, eleven hundred dollars a month more, um, because essentially what's happening, you know, when you have a two percent interest rate increase for every hundred thousand dollars that you're borrowing, you're going to pay an extra hundred bucks. Um, so if you're buying a five hundred thousand dollar house, if you bought it in January, your monthly payment is probably about five hundred dollars less than if you were to buy it today. Um, and that's just with the interest rate change, not tacking on if there's been a price appreciation on top of it. So affordability has definitely gotten stretched. So I, I, I do think that's where that's why you get froth that comes out of the market. Um, you know, I, I think things I think you see a slow season for real estate. You see price drops. You start to see some of that stuff. But does it equate to a huge percentage? You know, like the run up in real estate the last two years is like 20 something plus percent. You know, so do you erase all of that or do you just, you know, pull back four, five, six, seven percent of it? That that's because that like when people say, okay, well, what do I do next? Right. You know, okay, great. Hey guys, um, great, you know, maybe real estate does or doesn't crash, but regardless, I gotta figure out what my next move is. And so, you know, what should I do? And so it's like, you know, I always look at these things and say, okay, well then segregate your money. If you're dealing with liquid money, money that you have in the, that you can put into stocks and bonds and things like that. Okay. Then you start looking at the capital markets and you start looking at home builders. And if you have a belief that real estate's going to crash, um, you start looking for ways to possibly short against those home builders. Um, if you think, real estate's going to keep going and home builders are going to go longer, you can go long. I mean, what I would do is I'd climb up the capital stack. I I would think that that all this news over the next couple months is probably going to push the home builder prices in the capital markets and the public markets lower. Usually that's going to push their corporate bonds lower as well. So I would start to look in that space and say, hey, can I find some good quality corporate bonds that start trading at a discount 
um, of a home builder that I'm pretty confident isn't going to go through bankruptcy if things get ugly. Um, because then at least you're going up the capital stack and going into the bond world from the equity world, you're getting paid to wait. And if you can get them at a discount, you might get some growth out of it if you can handle that kind of risk. So I think from, from a capital markets, that's one way to do it. Um, I think most people though, they like Justin for you, like you're, you're, you're a young guy trying, you know, looking to get married, you know, your big question is what, you know, should I buy a house or not? Yeah, not right now. Um, I, I want to just touch on a, mo a thing that you brought up a second ago on the home builders. So as of the end of June of this year, um, home builders have been, have, they've had cancellations for, you know, a lot of their building projects. It's up over 14% as a national average. Yeah. Um, the largest um, home builder, what is it, Dr. Horton, I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, they saw a 24% drop in the contracts that they had already had going in the month of June. So we're already seeing some of that. You know, when you talk about home builders and yeah, I mean, for somebody like me, um, you know, especially in an area like Southern Orange County, uh, New York in certain spots, Florida, uh, Austin, Texas now, um, it's becoming, you know, so rich that, um, you know, it's, it's not affordable. And I think one thing that we maybe can touch on, not super well, it is important, but, uh, you know, is, is people's earnings, you know, are they, you know, are they making enough? you know, with all of this change and it with the way inflation is, do they make enough to even ever get a chance to, to put away money or do they need to go job search again and look for something where they can get a higher wage to start saving money? Um, you know, so I think that's a big area too is, you know, is the wage gap. I mean, yeah, sure. If, if, if housing prices come down, that's great. But if people still aren't making enough money, then, you know, we still have a problem. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother show because the thing with that is like, I, I, you guys, you realize, hey, you know what? I, I, my parents are California kids. They, they went to Wilson High School, Long Beach, right? That's where they met. My brother was born in Pennsylvania. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. How do two California kids go have kids like, you know, across the nation? Well, you know what? It was the late 60s, early 70s. You know what was happening? Exactly what's happening now. Inflation. What did my father have to do? He had to make money. What did he do? He moved. Yeah. Right. So so people are going to move. They're going to go find jobs. Yeah, there's going to be more circulation of things. So, you know, what can people do? You, 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 that's why real estate becomes really regional, because then the areas that are supplying the jobs are probably going to have the advantage. So like you talk about the cancellations is I, I listened to a podcast just the other day that said in certain areas, like some of these areas that got really, really hot, cancellations are up to 30 percent. Makes total sense. Right. So that right. that takes the froth out. So, you know, what does what does a young guy like you do? Like what people want to know is, hey, if I'm trying to buy a house, like if that's my goal is to buy a house, should I do it now or should I wait? Um, and like I've been looking at houses and the only equation that I can come up with is I'm like, OK, I don't want to buy something in front of a you know potential train wreck. So, all right, I'll go back. I'm just going to pretend like the pandemic never friggin happened. I'm just going to like just say, OK. You know what? I'm going to go look at 2019 prices, whatever this house sold for, whatever I'm like. I'm going to look at what it was at worth 2019. You know what? And I'm going to tack on a respectable 5% growth on that, just like any asset would grow. You know, so from 2019 to now, we've got what, four years? Is that? So, you know, five times four is 20%. 
So you know what? I'm going to throw my offer out there 20% above 2019 prices. If you do your math, that's still way below what most asking prices are today. I mean, you're still way below current market. And who knows? In, in, in hindsight, you know, you may end up still overpaying. That's why if I think if you buy a house now, if you're a young person or any kind of person buying a house, you better buy it with the idea of I can own this thing for 10, 15, 20. You know, like you better buy it with the idea that I can ride it out. I, I like this house. I can either live in it or I'm buying it and it's yielding me enough off of the rent that I can afford to hold it regardless of what price happens. So I think, you know, I think but anybody trying to do it based on rent plus speculation should remove the speculation. I'm going to argue against your, that, that sound logic. And I, and I like that in, in a normal world that would apply. We have too many variables now that have come in into play. You know, the unemployment aspect, we haven't really touched on too much. And I just kind of want to briefly talk about that, that, all the baby boomers are retiring. So I feel like we're not going to have the spike in unemployment like we typically would in a recession because we're not, we're losing more workforce people than we are gaining with the millennial, the Gen Zs and who's ever above, you know, the millennials. So our unemployment is kind of always be there. Plus with the work from home aspect that's going on, people are taking up two jobs because they can slack off on one and slack off on another. You know, why not get paid, get paid from two? It also goes against your regional aspect of things to where people can work from anywhere now. You know, that I see more advertisements of great places to work from home, you know, that are now outside of the U.S. or in tropical locations or, you know, things like that. So it, it changes the whole demographic that we're used to in real estate. So mm -hmm. the frothiness that we talk about, I do feel is going to come down. But we have been in such a supply lack for 15 years that when that price does come down a little bit and people start to see a drop and, and, you know, some restrictions start coming off, there's going to be more buyers that come in and be like, okay, I can, I can maybe afford that price now, even with interest rates high because and interest rates might come down and I can refinance in five, sure. 10 years. Sure. So it's, I, I don't think we're, this is going to take time. I feel like to maybe work itself out. And I don't think we're going to have a big enough pullback to where it's going to bring it to your standpoint of the 5% a year. It would be great if we did because we're, we're all looking to buy more things, but I yeah. just don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think my system only works if you're probably seated across a motivated seller. Yeah. Like my system would work if you have somebody who's like got a viewpoint because realize, realize on the seller side, there's some people, there's different psychology, right? You got to realize who you're seating across from it. And you don't always get the, you know, the luxury of knowing that until you get into the negotiation process. But, you know, yep. somebody who bought it and needs the money for another project or whatever needs the cash may be more motivated as opposed to somebody who's just like, I know it's worth more and I'm going to, you know, you know stick, uh, dig in my heels and I'll, I'll sit here for six months until I get my price. Well, and that's where the home builders and the home flippers you know, are, are going to be a better buy potentially because they're more, more motivated to flip the stuff faster. When you have majority of the people selling, they're selling because they have to, because they're either yeah. moving for a job, they're retiring, they're doing whatever. So, but they usually have time to work that out. They're not in as, as big of a rush. And some of the froth that we're seeing is maybe people who are, you know, want to take advantage of the big market that we've gotten and they're overinflating, you know, their, their prices. Like I could, mm. I could flip my house for, almost $300,000 more than what I paid for it. But the odds of me getting that price, even though that's what Zillow and all them are saying, 
Probably not because the market still has checks and balances of you're not going to have a, a house in a neighborhood that is way above any other house that's, you know, kind of on the market. So that's where a lot of these people are seeing what Zillow is saying might, might be their price. And they're, you know, thinking that they can get that. And then, you know, the real estate agents trying to adjust their, their thinking with, no, we're, we're probably not going to get that price. Here's a more realistic price. Well, they're not going to want to drop the price when they're, you know, realized two months ago that they could have maybe gotten that price. So it's, sure. that's what I'm saying. It's going to take a little bit to work this out. Yeah. Well, that's what the, but that's why it goes in cycles, right? It, 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 and that's, if you're in the market to buy, you just now have to be on your toes because now the cycles start to shorten and you got to really pay attention to your region. I really think, you know, more importantly, it becomes very, very regional because there'll be certain areas that, you know, will probably hold together, you know, and, and, and there again, it depends on those other factors of employment and how further interest rates end up going. Um, I'm imagining that rates are probably about where their, their, you know, their main level is. Um, and because otherwise then what's going to have to happen is wages are going to have to increase. And so, you know, the, the inflation is never successful unless you can push housing prices and rent prices higher. Um, so this is back to what you were mentioning, Justin, is that when, when the Federal Reserve, when the government realizes there's too much excess and they need to slow it down via inflation, like they, they, you know, rising rates and things like that, what they've got to do is they've got to push the affordability to a point where it slows the speculation and takes all that froth out of there. Um, so that's exactly what, and then the Fed's just trying to figure out where that level is, right? And we're probably right at that line. Um, so I think, you know, rates are probably, I, I don't have high expectations that they keep going, you know, multiple tudes higher from here. You know, if anything, I would, I would think maybe they take a little pause here and I'm not just talking the federal reserve doing what they're doing. I'm just saying the market itself, the 10 year rate and th such. So you know, I, I think if rates can can cool here and employment holds together um, and Wall Street doesn't totally fall apart, I think you're right, Patrick. I think things, you know, stay stable and, you know, you don't have to chase things, but you do have to stay on your toes. Um, let's wrap it up with one question. I mean, let, what, what would you do? Let's say this, guys. Let's say you're older. Let's say you're in your 70s. You own multiple houses um, and, you know, health is changing, whatever it may be. Um, you know, what do you, what, what does somebody like that do? You know, like somebody who's in that kind of scenario, do they keep all their properties, pass it down to the next generation? Do they, do they sell some properties and monetize some of it? Do they exchange them into something else? I mean, it's probably very personal. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because it's very specific to what the goals are of, yeah. of the investor, but there's, there's many options that they can really do with it, you know, and, and if you're not at the stage where, you know, you need the money that's in there, I would say sit on it. But if there's our options to where you can avoid taxes and take the money and, you know, sell at the peak and maybe buy later on if you have the time to sit around and wait for the real estate market to come back down. So it's very specific to what the investor's needs are. Yeah, I mean, I would just add kind of like Patrick said, very specific, but I mean, you know, those that own multiple properties, you know, you're looking at potentially what generational wealth, depending on what they're, if they want to keep that in the family, probably something worthwhile, but why not take some off the table? 
Now there is the problem of a taxable gain. You got options there and what you can do, but mm -hmm. you know, I mean, let's say you got five properties, why not sell two that are maybe in a pretty high price market and who knows, maybe in six months, 18 months, it could be a little bit lower and you could actually get back into something in the same neighborhood um, and, and have a little bit of equity at some point in the future because you, you know, you, you waited it out a little bit longer and sold a little bit at the higher, at the higher end of the, the cycle. Yeah. 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 I'm working with a guy right now. He's got, um, you know, six properties and he's in, the, in his late seventies and see, he's going through that same dilemma and he's kind of like deciding a little bit of both of what you guys are saying is he said, you know, okay, you know what, I'm going to look at my properties that are the biggest pain in my side. Right, the ones that yeah. older that need maintenance that that yield me the least, and I'm just I'm getting rid of those, and I'm going to monetize those. Um, one or two he decided to pay some taxes on just so he had the cash. The other he's deciding to exchange it to something that he doesn't have to manage afterwards through like a DST, um, and then he's going to hold on to the best properties that yield him the best and have the lowest amount of maintenance and make a decision on those later when, when he gets more answers on his health, because he's having a health change, you know? So I think those are the sensible things. And that's what's neat about all these things is you don't have to do all or nothing moves. A lot of times when you're looking at your situation, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever it may be, you can do things in stages and you can do things in increments um, and that helps reduce a lot of the anxiety around these decisions. And then questions like, is real estate going to crash? Doesn't really come into your decision making. You're making decisions based on longer term, playing a longer ball. Um, if you're a speculator, right? You know, if you're a speculator and you're trying to maximize every opportunity and every many, penny, okay, yeah, then, you know, be that way. But if you're really like every everyday average Joe, I wouldn't really worry too much about the real estate crash or not, or this or that. I'd be just keeping my options open. And like I said, if I had capital money, I'd be playing up the capital stack um, of corporate bonds. I'd be looking for opportunities there. If I owned multiple properties, I'd be looking for my, uh, a way to monetize them and reduce my headaches. Um, and if but I was a young person trying to buy a house, I would be patient. Um, I yeah. would be patient. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect, you know, I wouldn't expect, you know, prices to come into my desired range, like where they were three years ago. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be, you know, offering people over market value. And yeah, I agree. anticipating, 100%. yeah, anticipating that rates are eventually going to come down. I feel it's better, you know, buy the price, you know, that you can maybe afford now and refi later because we believe that rates are going to come down. Well, yeah. And, and, and when, when recession comes in, if it comes in, rates snap back pretty damn fast, you'd be surprised. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that <clears throat> historically, if you pull up the, you know, 30 year, you know, fixed rate mortgages over the last, you know, what's 50, 60 years, every time there was a recession within post recession, you know, rates started to go down yep. every time. Yeah. Yeah, there's and, never been a recession where you didn't see a spike up in energy prices, a spike up in commodities, and a spike up in interest rates right before it. That's what a recession is. You can't, things can't go like that, right? They have to recede back and then come, you know, so this, you know, it's, you know, the news acts like this stuff is all new, but this has been going on for hundreds of years. So the biggest thing to remind people is, you know, in during the 2008 crash, I mean, did people really notice that the value of their homes really, you know, dropped? 20, 30%, you know, if you're living there, paying your mortgage, 
you don't care what the price does for the most part. So I mean, for the people that are holding their properties and not needing to do anything or expecting to do anything in the next five years, you don't care. Like let yeah. it, let it fluctuate. Yeah. That's why you don't want to be over leveraged. You know, you know, I think Warren Buffett said it best. A lot of smart men have gone down with leveraged liquor and um, ladies. <laughs> so <laughs> leverage right now is dangerous in, in that space. So yeah, Glad I only yeah. have to worry about the last two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. If you-